0: Hello Eagles and welcome back to The Beak Speaks. I'm your host Nami Nair and I would just like to say Happy New Year. I hope you all had a great year and that we have an even greater one ahead of us Um, and this pandemic starts to come to a close. That would be amazing. In this episode we have Cooper Morgan with Creepy Crawlies, your scoop for all things paranormal. We also have Zen Agno, on LGBTQ representation in Arcane, and Soren Chowdhury with their take on the Great Gatsby. But first, as always, the news. With the Omicron variant predicted to surge after the holiday travel season, the CDC urges people to avoid cruise travel regardless of vaccination status. Many cruise ships are becoming petri dishes for the Omicron variant, and ports are refusing to allow cruise ships to dock in certain cases. Stay safe, people. In other news, on December 27th, NFL legend coach John Madden passed away. He was the Raiders coach in 1969 at the age of 32 and went on to lead the team all the way to the Super Bowl in 1976. Besides coaching, he is also known for being a passionate sports broadcaster and the frontman for the Madden football game. Rest in peace. And finally, the Amazon Alexa tells a 10-year-old child to touch a penny to an exposed plug socket after the child asked it for a challenge. The response has since been removed from Alexa's capabilities, but the idea that the programming would allow the machine to put a child's life in danger like this is deeply disturbing. So be careful with your Alexas. For now, that's the news. Now we have Cooper Morgan with Creepy Crawlies.
1: Hello and welcome to Creepy Crawlies, a section of the Articular where we talk about all things paranormal and the harrowing world of true crime. My name is Cooper Morgan, I'm a junior at American High School and today I'll be talking about something closer to home than last time, and if you ask me, I think it's a little bit too close to home. Going back east to the good Old USA from our last podcast, we find ourselves in the Four Corners region of the country, specifically the area known as the Navajo Nation. Like all places here in North America, legends and tales have been made about things and people over the ages. Skinwalkers are a type of Navajo witch. While there are multiple types of Navajo witches, these are considered by far to be the most dangerous. Witchcraft is served by many different people from around the world, as the thought of someone perverting the magics of a people's land is a terrifying one. Within Navajo culture, it's believed that there are places where powers both good and evil are present, and people, like medicine men, will use these spiritual forces to heal and help their communities. Skinwalkers, on the other hand, use these forces to misfortune or kill others, as they themselves start as spiritual guides or healers. Corrupted by evil and bloodlusted, these creatures are terrible perversions of Navajo culture. It should be noted, though, that the information we have on skinwalkers varies from area to area. Not only that, but there is reluctance by the Navajos themselves to disclose too much information, as it is not only believed that talking about these creatures will directly attract them, but that it also helps preserve their culture by not talking about it to outsiders. While they can either be male or female, they are most often male. Their form is not consistent as they are capable of not only shape-shifting, but also taking possession of others' bodies in their human form. They look like anyone else besides the fact that they wear the skin of an animal, hence the name Skinwalker. The specific skin they wear is indicative on what they intend to transform into. Because of this, it is taboo for members of the Navajo to wear the skins or pelt of any predatory animal. They will sometimes wear skulls or antlers of the animal to apparently further enhance their powers. A quick way to tell a skinwalker apart in their human form besides a strange attire is by looking in their eyes. Their eyes, more often than not, are animalistic rather than human. They are shapeshifters, as they can take the form of animals. These forms can range from coyotes, bears, dogs, and deer, as it seems to be down to what they please. They hide among people in the day, but at night, they transform into beasts and commit their misdeeds on their former community. When in animal form, it is said they either have a near-perfect transformation or turn out slightly deformed. As in their human form, their eyes also stand out, being described as deep black pits with a faint red glow whenever a light is shined in them. Some descriptions have them resemble strange mixes between man and animal. These deformed descriptions are quite volatile in their nature and are seemingly the more animalistic version of them currently known. The range at which they exist is unknown as some stories claim to take place either in or not far from the Navajo territory. Confusingly enough, there are also stories from across the country noting similar creatures which further muddle things. They have been blamed for the blights that plague the Navajo, such as deaths, crop failures, famine, windstorms during cultural activities are given infamous credit to them. They're malevolent, they kill out of spite or simply for the fun of it. They rob graves to acquire personal wealth and to get items such as human corpses for rituals or for dinner. They will do anything to get the ingredients they need to do black magic. Many of these ingredients are specifically human ones. They live for long periods of time as it is not known if there's a set lifespan on a skinwalker. However, they seemingly seemingly live off the lives and suffering of their victims so perhaps that may explain a part of their wickedness. Skinwalkers start out as to healers and spiritual guides as stated before but for any multitude of reasons they have decided to use their powers for evil. To become a skinwalker is said that one must be initiated into a secret society where they're instructed to kill a close family member. Most often than not, this is a sibling. After this, they are gifted supernatural powers. These include what was listed earlier but also things like supernatural strength and the speed to match that of a car. They will often purposely terrify and harass their victims by either stalking them, playing terrible tricks, mimicking the voices of others and even a more insidious case is sticking around by roads in order to cause car crashes. However, they are not invincible, though they are incredibly hard to kill. Beforehand, you should get the help of a skilled shaman to greater increase your chances of surviving. Trust me, you want to make sure you succeed the first time, as these creatures are vengeful and will hunt you down if you attempt to kill them and fail. These shamans can apparently use rituals and spells to throw the evil power of the skinwalker back on itself. Alternatively, you could hit bullets and white ash, shoot the monster. It is stated that for this to be successful, you must either hit the neck or head of the creature. While I think many of the stories from outside of their reasonable range should be doubted, it also opens up a new discussion. Are there really just more creatures like this across the continent? I spent significant amounts of time out in the deep parts of nature where most people don't usually go and frankly I wouldn't want to find out the answer to the question personally I think it should be noted that these creatures are very popular in social media lately and there is generally a large amount of information about them and what they are and how they work. In fact, many people mistake them for another Native American cryptid that is far more famous, the Wendigo. Skinwalkers, in my opinion, are some of the most terrifying cryptids I've seen They're terrible, and you shouldn't romanticize them. When beyond our civilization, always be aware of what's going on around you and where you are. Sure, it's fair to doubt these tales given their fantastic nature, but let me ask you this. Do you want to be out in the wilderness and find out the truth, unprepared?
0: Thank you for that spooky segment, Cooper. We have Zen up next with a look at LGBTQ representation in Arcane. Take it away, Zen.
2: Hey guys, Zen Agno here, a junior at American High, back with another segment. This time, we're going to talk about a hot show called Arcane. And heads up, there will be spoilers, so to any new viewer or people that want to watch the show, this is your only warning to avoid any spoilers. Your 10 seconds starts now. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, and 1, continuing onward. This series branches out from a popular game called League of Legends. Like most games, characters and a setting is a core element to creating a game or story, which brings up two characters in specific I want to analyze. One of them is named Vi, an orphan who lives in the Undercity with Vander, who is her caretaker after her parents were slaughtered from the Enforcers, or the police. And Caitlin Karaman, Kate for short, is a daughter of one of the council members. The council is basically the main governing system of Piltover, or where Arcane takes place. In other words, these two characters live in completely different worlds, until they collide and have smidges of scenes here and there. Which brings up the LGBTQ plus tensions they show on screen. For example, Vi pinned Kate to a wall and flirts to your hot cupcake, explaining that Kate is sweet like one. Or when Kate takes Vi in her room and lay on her bed to talk about powder or drinks, Vi's younger sister, both names are the same person by the way after escaping from Silka, who was essentially the main villain of the show. Not to mention, it was a bare escape and that they had low chances of surviving, showing scenes of the escape rather than how they felt during that whole process. There was no and little to note scenes of progression in their relationship and the directors don't explicitly inform the viewer about what their relationship is or confirm if the scenes are romantically chemistry. Only the viewers can assume what their relationship could potentially be, so is it appropriate to say they represent the LGBTQ community? And does this stereotypically show how lesbians get together? Let's bring up a cartoon show called she to make a long story short, two characters named Katra and Adora were confirmed to be cannelling together by kissing at the very end of the show. Whereas Kate and Vi only get small, impactful scenes to the LGBTQ viewers. Like when Kate brushes the back of her hand on Vi's cheek. So let's go back to the beginnings of League of Legends lore before Arcane was under production people have speculated of their relationship and made theories of how their relationship might turn out. It has made players frustrated that the writers haven't confirmed through Arcane and it's, lead, uh, it's led to believe they could possibly be queerbaited. However, on Twitter, someone talked about Vi and Kate arriving to the council and present their case exhausted and frayed. Remember how I mentioned... Kate brought Vi to her room, after escaping Silka to talk about Powder or Jinx. Imagine the pressure and overwhelming emotions those two must have felt after that. They can only rely on each other for comfort, and Vi has been with Caitlyn after years of isolation in prison. As a way to comfort each other, there is a chance that they have slept together, since in her room, Caitlin's room, there is a singular bed. A Singular bed with a lot of space for two people to sleep on. This right here, if they are confirmed to not be canon lesbians, is clear queer bait. Despite all the speculations and theories or headcanons people have made, do they give a proper LGBTQ representation? My personal verdict is no. At best, What they probably have is interest or a close bond since they managed to get through death and back. As well as the reality of the situations that they possibly have gone through. Again, like I've mentioned, it was overwhelming what they felt. The many adventures that they have been through has no time for romantic feelings to get involved but you get to be the judge for yourself if you watch Arcane. I seriously recommend it if you appreciate beautiful animation and soundtracks. So that's all for now. Thanks for listening and have a good winter break.
0: Finally, we have Soren Chathery, a returning podcaster from last year, with their exciting take on The Great Gatsby. Warning, there are spoilers for the book in this segment.
3: Hello everybody, my name is Soren Chowdhury and I will be hosting this section of the Beak Speaks podcast. This is about The Great Gatsby, so if you do not want to know anything about the book and you just you don't want to know anything, then maybe skip this segment. If you don't really care, I'm not getting into a lot of the meat of the book. It's just like a little detail from like the first couple chapters that I was like, this is a little weird and nobody's talking about it. So if you really don't care, um, but this does add more insight to Gatsby's character. So... If you, if you want to, like, make those discoveries yourself, maybe skip this part and I won't be offended, you know? Anyways, I'm going to be talking about the Gatsby library scene, which, if you read the book, you know, Nick gets invited to Gatsby's house for the party, and at his house, he goes into the library, which is, like, some fancy rich person library, lots of books, like, you know, rich people things, right? And there's a random guy in there. And then he's, he's like, freaking out because he takes off one of the books and he's like, oh my god, this is a real book. Like, this isn't a fake book, you know, with all the books in there, you'd think they'd be fake, but no, they're real. But then he goes on to say that they're uncut, which, I mean, by modern book terms, you don't have to cut your books anymore, which, so a lot of people just kind of glanced over that. But then I was like, what does that even mean? So I googled it, and apparently they used to bind books the other way. So, you know, the part where it's like folded over that like gets glued into the spine now? Before they used to fold it the other way, so you'd have to cut open the pages to read it. So, that means all of his books weren't even read. They were just there for the sake of being there. They just had. He just had enough money and disposable income to buy an entire library of real books, but not even being destined enough to read the books. Which it's really some rich people things. Honestly, like, I don't know why you would b- buy an entire library when you could just buy fake books. Um, oh, and also, if you wanna know, that's how they got the deckled edges, which is like the uneven book edges, but now it's like a fake. They kind of imitate it, but that was just like a fun little thing. But like the fact that he, the guy in the library who isn't Nick, who's like talking to Nick, he makes such a big deal about the edges being uncut it feels like, I feel like we should have talked about it more, because I feel like, like it provides a lot more insight into Gatsby as a person, because, like, okay, here's where a lot of, more of the spoilers come in, but, um, it kind of shows how his whole idea of, like, being wealthy, like, the money didn't matter, he never cared about the money, it wasn't for the money, he was doing everything for show, he didn't care about having a luxurious life, he didn't, he, that wasn't what he wanted, he did not care. He he wasn't doing it for that. He was not in, in the life for the money. He was doing, like, you know, business people things. I'm not gonna... I don't want to give away too much, so I'm not gonna say exactly what he did. But he did bad things to get the money, you know? And then everyone's, like, making rumors about him, and half the people in his house don't even know him for these parties. It's like, he's... You know but like, so now you know, looking back, that he never did any of it to keep money. He was doing it just to gain Daisy, which, it feels like a long, long roundabout way of going about collecting Daisy like that, but, well, you know what, I'm not going to judge him, because, you know what, I'm not the one who lives in the 20s who's drafted into the war, so... You know, maybe I have better things to do, but like, it just feels so weird. This like, it kind of got skipped over by a lot of, at least my English teacher skipped it over. It felt weird to like look at that, and like I already knew about the library scene before I went into the book because I'm I'm just a nerd. But it was so so weird that like nobody really talked about it because I was huge foreshadowing for his character. Because you don't really know that he's doing it all for Daisy until later in the book. Because then he abandons the parties and everything. But with that, it kind of shows a little more insight. And so it would be a little... You could get his character a little better from early on without even meeting him. Because this is before he even meets Gatsby. He's just meeting a random guy. Like, Nick is hanging out with Jordan in the library. And there's this rando in there just telling him about books. And it's like, oh, fun. That, like, I feel like that shows, like, that scene altogether, just like, truly, it's kind of the embodiment of Gatsby's life before he really got Daisy, you know, like, it's just kind of like a whole, it's like his entire life story can be decoded from this one scene, but if you don't know about it, then you'll never, you'll never see it there, so, I don't know, I just thought it was really cool um, sorry for being a nerd and ranting for however long this was, um, I just, I've just had this on my mind since I read Gatsby, and I was like, oh my god, please, please, somebody mention the books, but nobody mentioned the books, and I guess people didn't really want to talk about the books, you were talking about the guy in the library, right, and they talked about the books being real, I remember that, that was a thing, but then nobody talked about how the books were uncut. And I was like, that's a little weird. That's a weird detail to be pointing out. Like, he didn't need to point that out. So, you know, everything has meaning. Long story short, now analyze your books. It's good for you. Anyways, I hope you enjoyed. Um, Sorry for being a nerd. And I will see you guys sometime.
0: Thanks, Soren, for that interesting take. We all love a good rant. Well, that's all we have for today, folks. I hope you all had a great rest of your winter break. This is Nami Nair signing off. See you in a minute.